everyone. Welcome to A Quick Dip, a series of short conversations about culture, communications and change. I'm Sarah Black, founder of Aru Communications. I'm a communication strategist who is passionate about making sure you're not endlessly creating Homs content, you're actually starting conversations that matter to your organisation. And that's what this podcast is about. It's a series of conversations introducing ideas to help make your communications activity more culturally relevant, more inclusive and more effective. I am delighted to welcome Sarah Thornhurst this week for a quick dip into inclusive communications. Sarah, say hi and introduce yourself to everyone. Hi, (laughs) thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. So just to give a bit of background about me is I am a professional communicator. I am also a disabled person and I have had hearing loss pretty much all my life, really. And then three years ago, I got COVID and I've been ill with COVID ever since. But for about six years, um, 2016-17, I was really struck by how few disabled practitioners that I knew or how well disability was talked about, thought of, included in everyday PR and communications. And I started getting really passionate and interested about why that was the case and what we could do to improve it and change it and fix that. So over the kind of the last six years, I've really been kind of campaigning to bring disability to a wider audience, particularly like disability and PR, disabled PR practitioners, um, and look at how the industry can be more welcoming, more inclusive and more supportive of MD with a disability, chronic illness or impairment working in the PR and comms sector. Amazing. Thank you. And I will just love that Sarah does great training for anybody who's already rushing to learn more about this. Sarah, I want to talk a little bit today about, as mentioned, inclusive communication. What do we, when we talk about inclusive communication, what does that mean to you? What are you talking about when we use that phrase? So for me, it means being deliberate and thoughtful and the language that we choose to use to make sure that it doesn't exclude people, but also that it does not contribute to upholding systemic barriers and oppressions for marginalized groups so it's really about thinking about the words that we use where they come from the style of language that we use who we include in our communications like demographics for example what do they look like and how are we talking about them and what do we think of when we are putting a campaign together as our as our target audience and who how do we talk to those people so inclusive communication is really thinking about all these different factors about any kind of communication that we put out into the world and trying consciously to make sure that it excludes as few people as possible and I say that because I think it's it's impossible to cater to everybody all of the time it's quite hard I appreciate that but I think making a concentrated effort as I say to make sure that we are minimizing that as much as possible and not contributing to the pillars Mm -hmm. of like racism ableism patriarchy white supremacy all these kind of things and I'd love you to talk a little bit more about how ableism can show up because I think one of the things I've learned from you is how pervasive it is and sometimes how unaware us non-disabled people are of it Yeah, I think it's an interesting one because I would argue that everything is ableist. And I think I say that because, well, I say that because not to have it, not not to have a go at MD. I think a lot of people need, a lot of times when you say things like that to people, they take it really personally and go, I'm a good person. I'm not, I'm not ableist. And what I mean is that society in general, particularly in the global north, is 
ableist because of all the things that we've learned over hundreds of years about disability and disabled people. It is pervasive and it's in the language that we use. I mean, in one of my last training courses, I, I covered inclusive language and I covered things like we say mad and we say crazy and we say, oh, that's insane all the time. Those are terms that were used to describe people who had severe mental health issues and who are maybe institutionalized in the past like that's where those words come from but we use them every day and we don't join those two things together so we don't see it as ableist but it really is and I think we don't understand disability well enough because it hasn't been in the public eye I guess well enough mm-hmm. it's, it's always been the narrative of, of disability has always been controlled by non-disabled people until really the last 20-30 years so everything that we think and all the ways that we act and we exist in society are generally ableist until someone mm-hmm. points out and says actually there's a different way to do this and thankfully we are getting a little bit better at recognizing what that is and some of the obvious things like you know if someone is a wheelchair user and like they can't get onto a train or into a Mm -hmm. shop or something we recognize that kind of ableism but we don't recognize the stuff that's probably a little bit more insidious so Mm -hmm. we maybe infantilize people um, who have intellectual disabilities for example or we have a bias to assume that someone who maybe works part-time because of a disability isn't as capable as someone who works full-time and therefore will maybe be passed over for promotion but we don't maybe tie that into ableist thinking we just kind of assume we make a lot of assumptions I think and as Advita Patel says which I love assuming makes an asset of you and me and I love that phrase yes and we love Advita we love Advita so you know that is that is exactly accurate (laughs) no that's true um if if someone listening to this is kind of coming to this maybe for the first time and they're thinking about how do I do better in terms of language engagement, including disabled people in communication, very, very top line, some fundamental places or things for them to know. I think first off, look at the social model of disability. That's your first place to go, really, is to understand it. So the social model of disability was created and designed by and for disabled people across the 70s, 80s and, you know, kind of has progressed since then and we are much more familiar with it now than we used to be and it was a, a move on from the medical and charity models mm. so the social model for MDU is unfamiliar basically says that um, a person is disabled by society so someone an individual has an impairment yeah. but they are disabled by society um, and you remove the barriers you remove the disability I have slightly and I like it's not perfect like I don't entirely 100% agree with it but the theory of it mm-hmm. as a foundation is exactly where to go exactly where we need to go sorry but from a language point of view the social model is where we see the rise of identity first language mm-hmm. so seeing a disabled person rather than a person with disabilities yeah. so that's where you start to see that language change come in um, and we are getting a lot better at adopting it so places like NHS adopted the government mm-hmm. scope disabled charities they all use the social model of disability as their foundation for things and I think as a communications profession we need to understand that and adopt it into all of our practices because it really does reframe what you think about disability and how you think about disability so you remove it from the person and you start looking at society and say well actually what barriers can be removed to ensure participation in society mm-hmm. so it's, it's reframing but I'd say like scope has a really good definition of the social mm-hmm. model just as a really top line kind of way to look at it it's also in the EDI guide that the CRPR um, have just released so uh, 
I was involved in that project and we have those resources in that that explain what the social model is and where to go for further reading as well. Yeah, brilliant. We'll put links to all of those things in the show notes for anybody who wants to find them easily. I think one of the things that I've, we've also talked about is the need to kind of unlearn and social model is a great place to start with that kind of unlearning and shifting thinking as non-disabled people. Are there other kind of things that you're like, please avoid doing this or things that you would encourage people to do beyond the social model or on top of that? I think social media is wonderful. So like in terms of disability awareness and inclusion, so Twitter did have a very strong disabled community. Obviously everything that is happening there at the moment, it's, yes. you know, and also that's actually quite worrying because mm. Twitter for a lot of people was a really strong route to community and access to information and finding your people as a, yeah. as a disabled person as well. Like it was a really important piece of that puzzle so tiktok is actually for me filling that gap a little Mm -hmm. bit so i'm on disability tiktok quite a lot um and there's some amazing people on there so consume content created by disabled people like just seek them out read what they are writing listen to what they're saying like don't assume that you know everything or don't assume what you think about disability is correct and rely on like media depictions because those although those are getting slightly better they're still a a bit of a way off from Mm -hmm. being really realistic so actually consume that content you know if we are communicators then we should be able to look at what's what else is being communicated around us by other people yeah so you know the unhidden um is a great resource it's it's sadly sort of closing for the time being Mm, it's going on a six-month break i think isn't it yeah yeah it's hiatus Yeah, yeah yeah but it is still there so you can still read it obviously um disability news service um disability tiktok just find those creators mm-hmm. and actually listen to what they're talking about and the the issues and concerns that they have because it's all out there all the information it's, yeah. it's really easy to access you just need to kind of go and find it so i would say start consuming that type of content and listen to what is being said because your your opinion will start to shift like it will start to shift and there's great books as well disability visibility is a great book it's a collection of essays edited by alice wong on, on disability and lived experience of disability and that's a great yeah. it's a great book it's not very big it's not a big long term you know we're not asking you to like commit to 25 hours of reading it's just it's a it's a great starting point I think as well yeah. and it's quite a fundamental thing you, you can't communicate with four two people if you don't understand them so actually starting to in, engage with that community on social media is a, a great way of doing that and starting to understand kind of the issues that disabled people are facing in our society and, and some of the things that concern them or that they're talking about and, and how they're expressing those things, I think is, is a really important kind of place to begin, isn't it? Yeah. And I think for a long time, like particularly the profession as a whole, just didn't treat disabled people like they existed. It was just a yeah. sector of society that just got ignored. Like it yeah. wasn't marketed to, it wasn't talked to, it wasn't engaged with in any way. It just was put to one side like it didn't matter it wasn't part of the conversation it wasn't part of the conversation no not at all and it just wasn't felt of value and I think that's again partly why I say ableism is so deeply ingrained in society is that it did not occur to you at any point to start like engaging with the disabled community like it's a very complex very rich community communities within communities like oh yeah you know little pockets of different you know it's it's broad and, and deep and intersectional completely yeah, intersectional it's a huge so point. it's a huge point so if you know if you're speaking to a particular demographic say you know queer women for example yeah 
so those women will be disabled some of them will be disabled to have chronic illnesses for example yeah. but you don't like that element of them is just ignored in favor of the other factors so I think we need to get a lot better of at, at realizing that disability is a significant part of society it's like one in four people now the stats used to be one yeah. in five and I think it's now one in four so one in four people you're just gonna ignore that doesn't make any it doesn't make any no. sense like doesn't it make any zero sense. sense like if you were producing a campaign and someone said that to you you'd be like yeah that that's that's a bad move isn't it that doesn't yeah doesn't seem like a great 25 percent of the audience just gone yeah just, yeah we'll just, just, gone. we'll just forget them because you know we either infantilize them or we don't see their value in society and that again yeah or the other thing that I've I've heard you talk about is that we kind of treat them as heroes and mm. inspiration and and that's also quite offensive because that's I, I'm trying to think who I'm paraphrasing or quoting misquoting I'll put it in the show notes when I find the source but you know no amount of being heroic will actually get you up the stairs if you're in a you know if you're a wheelchair user yeah um, yeah, yeah it just it doesn't help it's yeah not, it's patronizing and I think that's a trap that sometimes non-disabled people fall into we go like aren't they amazing yeah and it's like but what are the, so what are the what is your opinion then the question I always want to ask people when they do that is okay so what's your opinion of someone like me who will not be able to run a marathon am I less valuable to you because my energy limiting illness means if I even try to run my body will shut down it will shut down and stop working I'm not going to be able to do that but am I less valuable to you because I haven't overcome something because that's what you're telling me you're not saying those words but that's essentially what you're saying to someone is that you find them more valuable because they have achieved something that you think is remarkable but if they didn't have a disability, you wouldn't think that's remarkable. So you end up in a exactly. weird circular thinking about it. Yeah. So and next time, and you see posts like that on LinkedIn all the time, like it's these yeah. inspirational posts. And I used to reply to them and be like, this is inspiration porn, please stop it. Yeah, we'll pop the link to the inspiration porn TED talk in the in the show notes, I think. Because that's who said the statement about the stairs. Yeah, is it? thank you very much. And I think that's how we see a lot of the media talk about disabled people as well isn't it that they're all kind of you know heroic and special and and actually that's not helpful either no you'll never see them on the news like if they've done something remarkable or for charity or they've like they've climbed a mountain I know the there was a show recently and I it was something to do with pianos and I'm not entirely sure what it was but there was a blind girl Mm. who um, I think she's blind and autistic and played the piano beautifully but the response to her, I think people need to examine. Was she good? Yeah, she from what the yeah. very small clip that I saw, she was fantastic. But she's just a fantastic piano player. But it was made into something more because she was blind, visually impaired, and autistic. Yeah. So we need to kind of start examining those types of things and our responses to them yeah. a lot more to start to untangle that kind of ableism that we have. And as communicators, have to take responsibility for the things that we perpetuate. Yes, I think is like, a is a big part of where the profession has power and influence. I mean, part of it is that um, you know accessibility, inclusion, but also driving change potentially in some of those things, and also then looking at our own hiring practices and looking who's in the industry, which is something that you've really been leading on as well. Is looking as it's are, are we as communicators making it um, difficult for, for anybody who's um, disabled to work in our industry? And yeah contribute. because I tell I think, you I would like to hire some of those creatives <laughs> on social media because they're brilliant yeah and so the the increased awareness of neurodiversity so I have a, I have a slight hang up on it in that it's it's on the one hand it's really great and I am delighted that people are able to now have access to both mm-hmm. language diagnosis and I know like 
that ties into the medical model and we don't want to focus too much on disorders but having that diagnosis or understanding Mm. of your brain and and knowing actually why things are the way they are for you is is huge and it's a huge process for people to go through and you know and come to terms with and understand and that is vitally important that people go through that however I would say that our industry is probably treating it as a trend and I don't mean that in an individual way but it's an overall thing to talk about like most of the articles we're seeing at the moment are about neurodiversity in terms of EDI and that's great in one way because it's needed and these all these conversations Mm -hmm. are needed but it kind of narrows our focus again to very specific elements of disability rather than trying to just take yeah. the barriers down for everybody so it's very individualistic that's the way that's the way I'm kind of looking at it so at the moment things like um reasonable adjustments are very individualistic so someone yeah. comes to you and say I you know I have um, an impairment mm-hmm. or disability this is what I need to go create we'll do this for you but these people don't then look at the wider organization and go yeah. right how do we just change that organization wide and just remove that barrier altogether and so we're very individualistic at the moment I think the neurodiversity discussion is sort of Mm. tying into that a little bit and it would be great to see it people broaden it out a little bit more and understand that disability and chronic illness and neurodiversity are all part of this system that really needs a working world that moves it or kind of sits outside capitalism not or, or, or sits adjacent to it rather than the capital system we're in because it doesn't really do him any favors um and really what we're asking for in terms of reasonable adjustments or hybrid working or four day weeks that's really what we're pushing for anyway we are saying this system yeah. doesn't work for us we need a new system and yeah. it doesn't feel very joined up at the moment it feels very like that's over there and that's over there and that's over here but if, yeah. you look, if you take a step back and actually consider from the pandemic what we're pushing for and what like mm. Janet Jen said when Jen said no, I've no I idea. Think so. Um is pushing for is that is that change to how we work, that really deep rooted change yeah. to how we work. And that's what disability has been calling for for a long time as well. Yeah. So rather than having those kind of small incremental steps, starting to think more about a seismic shift in thinking and then from thinking into action and behavior yeah yeah because if you've got 10 people in your organization you've made reasonable adjustments for all of them then I don't see why that should be limited to just those people like Mm. I'll clarify that a little bit and that everybody will have their own individual needs in an organization regardless and those should should be met um but instead of just targeting a single person at a time take that opportunity to revisit all your processes and your systems and just go actually how can we embed a lot of these changes into our organization to make it better for everybody and actually then we might see more people coming through with a disability chronic impairment or neurodiversity who who find our organization accessible and want Mm -hmm. to work here yeah that feels like the perfect place to stop because that feels like the way we would like it to be and so that's a great place to end that's my utopia (laughs) (laughs) well you know, you have to have a vision, I think, in order to make progress. So thank you for sharing that vision with us today. I will also mention, because Sarah didn't, that she does great training courses on the social model and on inclusive communications. I think you have them on demand and also now live on Zoom. 
um, on your website. So I'll make sure to pop a link in uh, the notes to that because that's how I met Sarah um, and consultancy as well. So thank you very much. Fascinating conversation. Lots and lots to think about and look forward to continuing the conversation offline and hopefully in the comments to this as well. Yeah, thank you so much. I um, It's been really great to have a conversation with guys. We say we could probably chat for another three weeks easily. Yeah, on this easily, yeah. possibly longer. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Sarah. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed today's conversation and maybe wanted to join it, then please do get in touch so that we can talk more. I'd love to hear from you. You can sign up from my newsletter by finding me on LinkedIn and let's connect and continue the conversation. Thank you.